0: Exercise confidence listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Today's episode is exceptionally special to me. I sit down with my dear friend Amanda Lee, who truly embodies and lives out what it means to exercise confidence every day. This episode is super special today, particularly as I mentioned, because... Amanda is going to be undergoing surgery to battle colon cancer. In her episode, we talk about why it is so important, the work that she is doing to fight the fat phobia stigma in the medical industry and various other industries that she has done work in. She talks about the struggles that she has overcome facing adversity from childhood to present day. And I'm so excited for you to get inspired by what Amanda shares with us today. So, without further ado, here is our episode today with Amanda Lee on exercise confidence. And I'm so excited, honestly, that I get to be able to share your story because prior to everything that's developed recently, like I've always wanted you to be on the show just because of who you are and how you are just you are who you are and everybody knows like Amanda is who she is and it's never like a question you know you're a very authentic person so thank you for allowing me to um be able to go on this journey with you and share part of your story thank you thank you for having me of course all right exercise confidence listeners so today I'm here with a dear friend of mine who is just doing some amazing work and making waves with what her message is her name is Amanda Lee. Amanda, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. I'm so grateful. So um, I'll let you intro yourself in about 20 seconds or so. Let the listeners know who you are and what you want them to know about you. Okay.
1: So I am a plus size woman and I've always been really body confident. And I basically had a terrible experience with a doctor once I was not feeling too well, who had shamed me basically saying that it was okay for me to starve. Um, and then I got a second opinion and actually found out that I had colon cancer. So, um, I want to continue that message, that message forward about, you know, weight stigma and body confidence and how we can kind of move forward as a society to improve that, that situation that a lot of people go
0: through. And just off the bat, I wanna again thank you for all the work that you are doing and how you being able to exercise confidence in yourself and in your journey is not only gonna save your life, but countless others who are going to feel validated and seen in their own journeys, which they deserve to. So thank you for that. Um, Going back to just as long as you can remember, have you always been a confident individual?
1: Well, I'm very blessed since I have like a a mother and a sister who raised me. I was raised by two very, very strong, level-headed, thick-skinned women. I was always trained from a very young age that I should demand respect and I should demand equality and I should demand all of these things that I think I would deserve as a human. And so... um, with that growing up, I that kind of had carried with me growing up. So of course I wasn't always chunky. And then once I started gaining weight and and that kind of just became more prevalent in my life, you know, this is me demanding respect. This is me demanding the the things that I think I deserve in life. And of course those are all because of how I was raised. But again, I was I was very lucky being raised by two wonderful women.
0: Would you say that um your mom and your sister are also inherently confident people
1: yes yes my mother even though you know obviously everybody has their insecurities um but my mother is uh was a single mother and growing up watching you know struggling with money and struggling with finances and and that never stopped her from being this amazing mother, being this amazing supporter, being this amazing provider. So that was all this, this setup that she was able to provide for me. And then of course, my sister being older than me, um, you know, she kind of had to step up into that like figure of like, okay, well, she's got to pick me up. She's got to take care of me. She's got to then feed me and clothe me as well. So, uh, so yeah, they are both, you know, such powerful individuals so powerful
0: is there anything that you can remember like growing up or even as you got older um that your mom or your sister said to you that really stuck with you and helped you like believe in yourself and be confident in who you are
1: you know the way I was raised is so my mom's like a she's a preschool teacher and so she's she's could basically write thousands of books on early childhood development. Um and she's been doing it for a long time but ever since I was really young she let me order for myself at restaurants. She let me, you know, decide when I wanted to go to bed. She let me decide what I wanted to to eat and then with that came the consequences. So you know if i didn't necessarily make the right decision then she just took by and just watched me either fail or succeed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she just kind of guided me into that um and obviously you know everybody's parenting style is very different but that's just how i was raised and that's how my mother raised me um but this actually is a really funny funny question you asked cuz yesterday my mom brought it up she goes I remember when you were little, like barely able to talk like three or, you know, maybe four. I struggled to talk when I was little. Not like I couldn't talk. I just couldn't talk clearly. I just wanted to say all the things but didn't know how to say it. She mentioned, she said, I remember when we would go out to dinner and you would order for yourself and the server would always look at me and be like, what does she want? And my mom would just say, well, why don't you ask her? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is just a clear representation of, you know, how she raised me and who the woman I am today is. I, it's, it's so simple, right? Like, what does she want? Why don't you ask her? Yeah. Right. At a young age, I had to make those decisions for myself. I had to basically tell people and communicate with people. This is what I want. This is what I need. I need you to provide that for me. Such a simple story. But I I, it like really hit me yesterday. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I am the way I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And obviously, as someone who is um fortunate enough to know your mother and have met her multiple <laughs> times, she is such a gem. And uh, yeah, you, you see how that authenticity has transcended into you because again, you just you know where she stands. She is who she is. There's no mm-hmm. um facade there. She's a very genuine woman and and confident in who she is and what she brings to the table. And so I mm-hmm. love I love that um she empowered you to be the same way. Because that's the way it's coming off to me as I'm sitting here listening, is that it seems that the way she was fortifying you and raising you was really just empowering you to grow into whoever you were going to become rather than to mold you into something else or some vision that um, she had for herself, right?
1: Exactly. Oh, that's exactly. Very well put. And again, I'm, I'm so grateful you know, my mother is a powerhouse of a human being, mm. you know, she was raised in New York and so she had a hard life and all of her sisters are very much the same, you know, they're all powerhouse of individuals and I come a, come from a long line of of women who don't take no for an answer. <laughs> I love it.
0: I love it. I, I think it's absolutely a quality that um deserves to be, you know, instilled in more of our young women because... It's easy to let that opportunity fall by the wayside in rearing, and so um yeah. So thanks, thanks, Mama, for <laughs> raising our girl that way. But powerhouse, I like the word powerhouse because it applies to you in so many ways, right? If you're asking me as an outsider, as somebody who knows you from the outside looking in, you are a powerhouse personality. You are a powerhouse talent with your singing and your acting. Powerhouse in the voice that you have and the way that you advocate for yourself and for others. So, I do want to touch on your background in theater because I know that theater and body positivity do not go hand in hand. Yes, yes,
1: girl. Um, well, if you would like for me to dive straight into that, absolutely. One. So I basically have been doing theater since I was four years old. Um, and of course, when I, you know, four years old, I grew up in it and thought that this was how it was, mm-hmm. right? This is how things are. So you just accept it and then you move on. And then I got to college and obviously I was like 180 pounds, like maybe even 160. Like I don't even think I was that big. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, me and the other, the other ladies were consistently being told, like, you're fat, you're overweight, you need to lose weight, you're mm-hmm. not going to succeed unless you lose weight, and all of these things would consistently ring in my head, and um, one teacher in particular, obviously, he was a dance teacher, he would tell me, like, you know, nobody wants to see a fat girl dance, and one day he took all of the big girls into a room and you know all of us very talented I think I probably the least talented out of the other women um and I always say like if I'm not gonna make it to Broadway then it's because I'm not talented it's not because of my weight you know but Mm -hmm. nevertheless these other women like if they were to actually you know, put in a solid effort, like they could probably succeed at this. But of course, this situation has just impacted all of us. So he had put us all in a room, sat us down and said, um, uh, I see you all making this. I see you all being successful in, in musical theater and even making it to Broadway. If you were to lose 40 pounds. Jeez. And you know what, you know what we did, we all collectively left together, and then cried over pints of ice cream. <laughs> and I, I think it just proves this. I have pictures of us at ride it getting pints of ice cream, because it just shows like, that, that's not how to approach this. That's not mm-hmm. how the situation is. And then at one point, he I was losing weight, because I was basically saving all of my money to buy a car. My family was struggling and like, I needed a car. So I was working a whole bunch, going to school, a whole bunch of units. And I ended up putting everything I can aside. What that meant is I wasn't eating as much or as well as I should be. Mm -hmm. So I lost a lot of weight really quickly going to dance classes every day. And the dance teacher had pulled me aside and said, Hey, like you look like you're losing weight. And I said, yeah, jokingly said I'm on the poor man's diet. If I can't eat, then I don't. And Mm -hmm. his response to me, like, like really stuck with me. He said, keep up the good work. Oh. Oh yeah, and I talk about this story all the time because I can literally recall the situation as clear as day. Like it happened moments ago. It stuck with me so intensely and I I got it easy. Like other girls decades long of women in the same musical theater program left, had to be sent to eating disorder, you know, therapy had to be sent to, they even sent girl girls at one time as a joke, quote unquote, to fat camp because she was too fat. Like Mm -hmm. this musical theater program, like I had it easy, but all all musical theater programs are like this. Mm -hmm. And, And it perpetuates this idea of what Broadway thinks is what normal women are. And what they think is unhealthy, they are promoting this unhealthy confidence, and could you imagine, just take for a second, could you imagine if Broadway was full of people who were just talented, right? Regardless of what they looked like, they were just talented. Could you imagine what talent Broadway would have?
0: Yeah, it's invaluable. Because
1: most of the time, they're like, oh, you don't fit in the costume, you don't get cast, and it's acceptable, but I'm over it. That's unacceptable. We need to move past that. We need to move forward. And and that's kind of why I'm trying to be so vocal about this is because I, I'm done sitting back since I was four, year old, four years old saying this is just how things are. Because no, 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 no. Things need to change.
0: Yeah, we're definitely in a, a day and age where I, I love seeing how prevalent um, change can become, especially because of... As much as I hate to say it social media right it is a double-edged sword of of what you make it because there is so much out there that really can just annihilate you and um, how you look at yourself but there's also so much content out there that is inspiring and it's changing lives for the better much like your message and what you're doing and I definitely want to dive into that but first I want to ask you as somebody who was raised by a mother who very much empowered them to use their voice to answer those questions of why don't you ask her, you know, versus growing up in an industry and and going to school for this dream. How are you able to reconcile the negativity that you encountered in the musical theater industry versus the empowerment that you were raised with?
1: You know, and that's what's so shocking is that you know, I sit here and I can say, like, I'm lucky I didn't leave with an eating disorder, right? And I think that that is because of how I was raised. I was told that I was deserving. But on the other end, I was still, still – and still to this day think that I am not good at this trade that I have. I still think that I'm not – worth being listened to as a vocalist or as a performer. And a lot of me has just given up on theater altogether because I feel like, well, if you aren't going to see me as talented or as I think I see myself or as other people's even say that they see me, then you don't deserve my time, which is, which is really hard to say. But mm-hmm. again, I, I think I am the lucky one. Because of who I am and because of how I was raised, I didn't leave with an eating disorder, but it still is devastating, still is devastating, you know, to think that this whole thing that I've, I've invested in so many years would love me if i was this way or if i were to do this i'm 5'1 you know mm-hmm. i'm not ever going to get any taller right uh, so i it's it's still it still took a, a dramatic hit on me so much that i only started doing local theater and just thought well i'm not worth doing you know, more professional shows, Mm -hmm. I'll just do the smaller stuff that pays mildly, and, um, you know, I've just kind of, like, taken a step back, and obviously, my goal is to go towards more film, because I felt like the the theater industry was, like, I just didn't fit in anymore, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, it's been interesting, again, I'll say as an outsider, because um, I didn't really grow up in I did sports, but my sister is in musical theater um, and has been since elementary school. So I see this industry that I'm an outsider in, and then I always feel like when I see a quote-unquote victory for inclusivity, I also get a little upset because I wonder, is it a scapegoat token, right? Like when we see someone like Lizzo or Adele, and um, and now even Adele's lost a ton of weight, but somebody who quote unquote breaks that aesthetically stereotypical norm for someone in the entertainment industry, and it's like yes, like hell yes, queen, like go strut, mm-hmm. do it, and then at the same time I'm like okay, but is is that the only one that they're gonna let in, you mm-hmm. know?
1: And then they get they get praised for it, and then they get attention for it. You know, when in fact it should have nothing to do with their size or their height or their look, it should be talent, right? And one thing that I do perpetuate this this idea with is, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that I went to college with that now teach musical theater and they teach voice. And so I, I do take the time to say I think it's important to train your students that are going to be the next generation of this you know, culture, because it, it literally is a, a culture, it's a, its own society, um, how can you encourage them to be themselves and also fit musical theater? And I always say, okay, well, here's the idea, right? Take a show, like a play, a musical, very popular musical, and if it doesn't have to do with race or weight, then anybody could play those part, mm-hmm. Right. And that is such a simple concept that I think is still lacking in the musical theater business. Is okay, when you think of Hello Dolly, you know, you think of the the woman who plays Dolly to be skinny and tall and vivacious and, you know, strong. Some may even say a redhead because the original woman was a redhead. All of those things just throw them out the window because none of the story is affected if she was, you know, any ethnicity. Or any size. You know, when I saw it, I saw a wonderful black woman who was probably over 250 play it. And she was the best I have ever seen do it. You know, and genuinely was cast because of her talent. And and that is what I want to encourage. If it doesn't hurt the storyline of the story, then anybody could play that part. And that is the direction that we need to head in instead of this, like, concept of, oh, we just have to choose somebody who looks this way. If it isn't affected, then move past it.
0: Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind for me is Hamilton. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing clips of it like commercials or a promotion, I think, like on the news or whatever. And and I was so confused for a second because I was like, wait, isn't this about like the founding fathers of America. And I was looking at the cast, like, who are they all playing? And I, (laughs) and I, I, I love and hate that that was my thought because I was so conditioned to only expect one person in this type of role. Yes. And when I saw the difference, I was like, Oh wait, wow. That's amazing. That's groundbreaking. Is this the first show that's ever done that? And if so, why has it taken so long?
1: Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> it, 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 literally. And the, I can honestly tell you why it's taken so long. It is because when Broadway and film began, it was all about like follies, right? It was like showgirls theatrical. you went to the theater to escape your reality. You you know the same with film, film continued to progress, right? film continued oh it was like oh people don't want to see you know uh, lavish things anymore they want to see like people having a real life or a love story people who look like them and musical theater just continued to be stagnant mm. like oh we just that is the idea is people come to the theater and they <laughs> get a good show and they put on their photo coats <laughs> and they see women in you know feathers and you know There's some shows that are always pushing the limits, you know, uh, and we can kind of say like when that happened, a lot of people say like, oh, pre-rent, like pre-rent the musical Mm -hmm. Broadway was different because each Broadway has different eras. Um, And we will for sure post Hamilton will be a new era because Mm -hmm. it has taken so long to get inclusivity um, to the stage too long. Yeah. And I, you know, I can't even tell you like, like, uh, you know, how what a breath of fresh air that is. But you also have to think that is one show, yeah. where, you know, they have you know people of all ethnicities in this show, and there's hardly any other shows who have any people of any other ethnicity other than Caucasian in their shows or passing Caucasian. So it's like, well, where are they going to get work after this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and that is that is a fear that I guarantee that they're all thinking like, okay, well musical theater's got to change because I'm not going to have a job post Hamilton. And that is a fear for all Broadway people, but I'm sure it's a little more, you know, relevant to, to ethnicities. It's other ethnicities. Yeah.
0: And again, it, it just makes me think, like, is Broadway gonna look at Hamilton and be like, "Well, that's our token diversity cast," you know? Just like <sighs> I mentioned with the other singers before, and especially um, in the modeling industry, with Ashley Graham, right? Like, yes, she's the token outspoken plus size model, and at the same time, it's so, it's like, okay, that's great. Like, there's one. Where are the other fifty thousand?
1: You know, I, and this is what I have to say to you about modeling, about Broadway, about any of the culture. If you and I have something to do about it, then it won't be, right? Or if people start conti- and continuously communicate and act of this, then we will move forward. Because if if this stops being a topic of discussion, then ten years from now, it's not going to be a topic of discussion. Yeah. But if we keep communicating about it, right, we spend the money on musicals, like we go see musicals like Hamilton, we put our money towards those musicals that we that that are encouraging to us that mm-hmm. we want to promote. Or, you know, obviously everyone loves Astra Graham. And if we obviously show how much we admire her, mm-hmm. then we could continuously feels like we're dragging along like in mud but we can continuously try to achieve those strives but obviously like that is huge fear you know because mm. you're right that is ridiculous like we shouldn't be settling for a token of whatever you know mm. like if I heard every day like you'd be such a good Tracy Turnblad yeah I oh. get it. what about Christine <laughs> Daia like come mm. on you know like I get it, yeah, I'd be great at her, you know, at that at that wonderful character, but also there's plenty of other characters. So I think if if we continue to raise a fuss about it, and I will never stop raising a fuss, then I then I think that we can continue to be the next generation that is making better strides.
0: I mean that's the hope and that's the goal, obviously, and I mentioned this I I feel like a broken record because I feel like I mentioned this at some point in every podcast because everybody has something so unique to say that I know is going to touch somebody in a different way but I feel like it's just why it's so so much a passion of mine to get such diverse interviewees on the show because I want these messages to be perpetuated and I want them to have another place where this voice can live and spread and continue the message of what it is that people have to say because I believe that being confident in whatever your passion and your craft is, is something that is so easy to just let fall away and to think. Oh, yeah. And to think exactly like, you know, like you could have thought, like, oh, well, I guess because I'm never going to be this size, I'm just not going to be good enough. But at the same time, you realized it was more than that. It's like, no, it's not that I'm not good enough. It's that you're not being open minded enough to give me the opportunity that I know I deserve. And I'm not yeah. wasting my time anymore.
1: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, that is still something, especially when it comes to musical theater, I struggle with every day, Mm -hmm. Um, but what's really nice is that those women, those few women, and those couple women that were sitting in that room with me, when he told all of us that you're fat, and you're entitled, and you're not going to succeed, we now have a clan, Mm
0: -hmm. we now
1: are more empowered because of each other. And so where I, I feel like I'm lacking, I can turn to any of them and say, hey, what? this is how I feel. I, I know you can relate. And they will turn back to me and say, like, girl, you crazy. Like, keep going, mm-hmm. you know. And, and you know, if you do feel like you're falling short, then just create a community that will have your
0: back. Creating a community is something that I feel is such a recurring theme on here. And I love sharing the importance of that because there's that saying that you are a sum total of like the people you spend your most time with and Mm -hmm. so if you're unfortunately gonna be spending your time with um, negative people people who don't believe in you and if all you're hearing is that it's so much harder to feed your brain that positive message that it needs yeah oh yeah you said a word right now that made me want to ask you a question because you said The director uh, said you were like entitled fat girls. Yes. And that's something I would love to address because how are you able to delineate that in your message when you are expressing who you are and why what you have to say is important that you can express it in a way that when somebody addresses you with that manner of like, well, you're just saying that because you're an entitled fat girl, you're like, no, it's not entitlement. It's confidence in who I am Mm -hmm. and what I'm sharing.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that, I think it it goes to show you that the only reason why that word is being used is to demean you, Mm. to basically gaslight you, and to basically conditioning you into believing that that is what you deserve that that is acceptable. And I think that's basically what it comes down to. You know, um, like if if you were, in, like in psychology, you know, they had a, a dog and a dinner bell. And every time they ring the dinner bell, the dog would know that it was time for dinner. And the dog would start to salivate, right? Mm-hmm. Salivation was a result of the dinner bell. So every time you are being put down, right, like you are just entitled you start to have feelings like you are not worth those X, Y, and Z, fill in the blank. So I think that that is just them trying to condition you to believe them in what they say. Mm. Now, obviously, I think that is my opinion in my situation, um, because obviously the the word entitlement was thrown around all the time. But if, of course, if somebody had confidence, they were entitled. And then we could go on and on and talk about how gender is obviously affected by that as well. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, Especially in musical theater. But nevertheless, we can go ahead and spare that because I'm sure you know what I'm going to say about it. (laughs) But um, I think it it took me having this situation with this doctor where he had said something similar to me, Mm -hmm. having thousands of other people say, you know that that's not right. Yeah. And for me to be like, this isn't right? Then all of these things in my past are also not right. And the reason why I'm trying to be so vocal is that way people don't have to go through all of what I had gone through to figure it out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have a giant social media following. So I will be their following. I will be that one to say, you know that that's not right. Mm-hmm. So please expect and demand better. You are confident and not
0: entitled. That is what I really want to get into with you, right? Because as long as I've known you, you have always been a very body confident, body positive person. Again, Mm -hmm. in the face of all the negativity of people in the theater industry, which is when I met you and we were working together at the restaurant, we were going to school. So you were having these experiences at that time. I would have never known because of the way that you carry yourself. And I want to talk about the incident that happened with this doctor. And I would love for you to just start from the beginning and share that with us.
1: Okay, so basically what happened, I was having, you know, pain when I would eat and I went in to see a GI and to find this GI was a hassle. So I went in to see the GI and I he had asked me what I was eating and I said, well, I'm not eating much. I'm just eating like little pouch, like the puree pouches. And he said, Oh, maybe that's a blessing. And I was kind of taken aback and was like, wait, what did you just say? Because I'm in pain. Like I'm not eating. Mm -hmm. And he repeated himself in a different way and said, yeah, maybe that's not a bad thing. And then I was like, wait, what? And so the rest of the session, I was not listening to him. I could not even fathom the words he was speaking to me because I was like, angry. And I had brought it up again. And I said, wait, no, I'm still on the part that you said it was okay for me to starve. And he said, well, you don't look malnourished. Then continuing on, I He wrote me a prescription. I thought it was the prescription I needed. I grabbed it, and I walked out. Like, he knew I was pissed. I sat in my car, and I cried, and I called my friend, and, like, hysterical, obviously filmed that video that is now on TikTok and Instagram, and I filmed this video, um, and I called my friend. I'm on the phone with my friend. I'm, like, shaking. Like, what do I do? I'm so upset. Like, I feel like this is wrong. Mm -hmm. I should, like, he's a doctor. He shouldn't have treated me like this. I feel like this is wrong. She said, go back in there. And so I marched my butt right back in there, <laughs> and I said, you owe me an apology. <laughs> and <girl>. uh, he <laughs> I, I mean, he continued to gaslight me and be like, well, you know, fill in the blank with, you're, I was just being blunt, and you just don't get my sense of humor, and maybe you're just too sensitive. All of those things that mm. I think people would say to demean you and condition you to actually believe what his earlier, you know, BS was, Mm -hmm. you know, which of course I had turned back to TikTok and Instagram and was like, this is what happened. And everybody was like, no, 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 girl. Like that is not acceptable. Keep fighting, keep getting answers. And so I did look for a new GI um, and I was very adamant on trying to find a female GI just so weight wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously that is, extremely ridiculous that I feel that way um I shouldn't have to feel that way but nevertheless she did she is a wonderful human being and she found out what was wrong and I trust her with my life um and I'm so grateful I found her but yeah so that's the gist of it all
0: having someone to turn to as soon as you had this encounter as you mentioned you called your friend and Uh she was there to validate those feelings that you were having because absolutely that was unacceptable. Um, Going back in there and to coin a phrase you mentioned earlier, choosing to raise a fuss about it. Not only in that doctor's office, but as you continued on your journey of, there are answers that I need and, and I demand those answers because something is not right here. Um, How important do you think it was to have somebody really in your corner in that moment that validated you in being confident in going back in there and calling him out on what he did?
1: You know, she is a great friend. We've been, you know, best friends since high school. And of course, I feel like I have a lot of other friends that probably would have answered the call. But to be honest with you, at the time, the whole reason why I turned to TikTok and Instagram was because I felt so alone. Mm. You know, I felt like who can relate to this? Who who can understand who can validate who I'm feeling? And so I I did not calling the right person. And, you know, even though she's She's had a lot of health problems in the past and it took them forever to figure out that she had this rare autoimmune disease and so I called the right person who was in my community that could say no no girl you're not crazy he's he's messing with your mind you know go back in there and demand demand what you deserve
0: you mm-hmm. know and that video that you made and posted i remember seeing it and well, obviously the first thing as somebody who just loves and adores you and wants to protect you in all things, because that's my nature, um, I brace to protect, <laughs> oh. I was so pissed. I was so (laughs) pissed off. And I remember going and showing my mom and being like, can you believe this? Like, look at what happened to my sweet Amanda. I was like, like, so angry. I was like, and my mom was just appalled, appalled, appalled. And like, immediately, like, you know, my mom's the most like caring and thoughtful. She like started compiling a list of her own doctors and was like mm-hmm. if she needs anyone, <sighs> if she needs anyone, like these are my specialists and she's like let her know. And I was like I was like okay, okay, so I have that list like in the back of my mind. Thank God you got <laughs> in contact with the right people. But being so vulnerable, right? I think yeah. it takes such a high level of confidence to be vulnerable. And I honestly, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, that's somewhere where I am lacking in my confidence is I love being guarded. It's comfortable for me. And I don't like being vulnerable. and I don't like sharing very much, especially not super, super personal, intimate details of my life. But I think this is one of the most intimate and vulnerable things that you could have shared. And where did that confidence come from for that vulnerability? I know you said you felt alone and that you wanted to be validated in that feeling. But I think there's also another level there of being able to confidently share such a horrendous ordeal and encounter and allowing that vulnerability to be broadcast for the world.
1: I think that I, I, okay, so I I was raised to be very friendly, right? And one of the things, you know, I'm very blessed to have so many people in my life who I could call not only friends, but my best friends, you know? And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with that is how do you make friends? You make friends by sharing vulnerabilities, right? That is how you make lifelong, close friends, people that you can trust. Um, And a lot of times I I don't really have much embarrassment. I don't have many things that I can say, oh, well, I'm embarrassed at this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel very confident sharing it. But I think that kind of goes hand in hand with that was like, okay, well, I am a very vulnerable person. And a part of that definitely I get from my father, you know, like my dad was never afraid to sh- to cry, never afraid to show emotions. This man was in the mil- that was in the Marines, was a cop, you know, like the, the, you know, this very strong man never stopped to say, oh, maybe I shouldn't be shedding a tear for the way I feel, mm-hmm. you know? so today I'm very much the same way, right? Like, okay, this is how I feel. Also, if you come at me, then I'm just going to come at you back. (laughs) (laughs) I can, I can fight my own battles. You know what I mean? Um, Even though I I do feel like they're difficult and it is a struggle, but no, I totally understand with that aspect of how to be, more vulnerable Mm -hmm. versus you know you someone who always basically has like a wall up and that's Mm -hmm. comforting to you you know
0: yeah it it's been a process so we're working on it
1: (laughs) (laughs) well uh, you know I mean if it if it works for you and you feel like you're okay with that then that's great I mean if that's something that you obviously want to work on then do it you know work on it like you got it if, if if that is like a flaw to you you're like i would like to be more confident sharing vulnerability you know more vulnerable
0: things then yeah let's do it, let's I'll do it. <laughs> why not let it all hang out um, yeah i as cliche as it sounds have been trying to practice that more in what i post on social media especially on my exercise confidence page because i think that that vulnerability and that transparency, especially the transparency for me when it comes to understanding the responsibility of what the mission is of exercise confidence that I've created and that I've branded is that I don't want it to ever be another fluff, another filter, another Mm -hmm. altered um, image that makes somebody feel bad about them they're like oh look at this girl she's happy and her every photo is perfect of course it's like no like that's not what the aim or the goal is here like do I take pictures some days where I feel really good about myself and I want to share that level of confidence heck yeah I do do I also take videos where I look like death worn over after I've just ran a couple miles because (laughs) I want to show you authenticity yes I do so that's that's where it is for me but um it goes back to having to love the skin you're in for me, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And that's a big message that I'm a, a big proponent of. And I know you have always been too. And there's the, correct me if I term this wrong, but the the message that you are currently sharing following your diagnosis is that, is it fat, fear of fat kills or fat stigma kills?
1: Yeah, so basically it's like fat phobia kills. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and it, it's hard it's hard because this whole time I, I was thinking I just had IBS, right? Mm-hmm. I was pretty convinced I just had IBS. Cancer was not on the table. Um and so after I got the tumor diagnosis, it clicked. I was like, "Okay, I have a tumor." Uh yeah, this isn't this isn't uh, the same anymore, yeah. right? It went from like, okay, yeah, like doctors, like you need to do better, to like, no, I'm the example of how you literally could have killed me, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and that that would carry on through other aspects, not just the medical field, but fat phobia kills, and that is you know weight sti- weight stigma that kills, you know, after seeing my friends suffer in musical theater with eating disorders. That kills, you know, after me being diagnosed or ignored and then diagnosed with cancer. Like, I had no idea. Like, that wasn't even a thought. Like, and the whole time I was just thinking, like, everyone's so upset over my video and I just have IBS. Like, I just need a doctor who would listen to me. It's just IBS. Mm. And I remember telling myself, like, I feel bad that everyone's fighting for me and it's probably not a big deal. And then when they were like, oh, you have cancer, I was like, oh, this is a big deal. And the fact that I tried to brush it off uh, is the issue. Right. You know, like, you know, I, I almost let my fear of it being minor, you know, brush off how I felt about the whole situation as well. And it's, it, I mean, I know that my situation is obviously very rare. You know like this is a very rare situation nevertheless I'm gonna scream it from every rooftop possible until everybody who has earlobes and ears can hear me
0: yeah as you should as you should especially because again correct me if I'm wrong but colon cancer tends to be one of the cancers that is is more age associated we see we see it happen mm-hmm. in a lot of older people and you are young as heck <laughs>
1: yes yes okay so colon cancer is one genetic and two uh like older mm-hmm. right for older people and you know they I mean yeah it's, it's sometimes more male dominated because like women tend to kind of like observe their their stool like when they go to the bathroom mm-hmm. and men don't right so men don't really see if they have anything wrong mm-hmm. so the odds of men having it are high and then the odds of older people having it are high and the odds of people if you have it in your family are high but I don't have it in my family I don't know yet I have to do a genetic test but I literally have no idea nobody in my family has it plus I'm young and this wouldn't even have been on the table but luckily my doctor instead of just giving me IBS medication that wouldn't have worked she was like Since your other doctor didn't listen to you, I'm going to listen to you, like, above and beyond. Good. So she she ran all these tests. um, And she, there was a couple red flags I could see in my first meeting. And now that I look back, I'm like, oh, that's why she ran these. That's why she took it so seriously. Right. You know, I had said things like, oh, yeah, I just have hemorrhoids. And she's like, hmm. And then I said, and she's like, how long have you had that? And I'm like, no, like years. And she's like, hmm. And then she, you know, she goes, "When does the pain go away?" And I said, "Oh, when I take ibuprofen." And she's like, "Hmm," mm. you know. And I'm mm. like, "Okay." I look back and it's like, those are those are red flags for her, right. you know. Um, but this other doctor, I had told everything and probably more to him, and and I was prescribed UTI medication. What the heck? Um, yeah, literally not even IBS medication. Um, oh my God Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I called the pharmacist and was like, the, now they're now we're friends at the pharmacy <laughs> because of I I've been in and out of the emergency room and like seeing all you know, my my doctors tried everything that my insurance would cover. Mm-hmm. And so I go there pretty much every other day with a new medication. And they were like, you know, I, I he had called me uh, the pharmacist had called me and was like, hey, what's the deal with this medication? And I was like, what do you mean? I, it's for IBS. He goes, no, this is a UTI medication.
0: Jeez. And I was like.
1: Yeah, it's not an antibiotic, it's a UTI medication. I was like, oh, thank God this pharmacist had called me, Mm -hmm. you know, and had told me.
0: Yeah, well, thank God that there was somebody that was looking out for you there to begin with, and then this other doctor that you found. If you don't mind my asking, what was it like hearing those words, you have cancer?
1: (sighs) You know, when they did, okay, so I was sedated for Mm -hmm. the colonoscopy but i woke up and i saw something on the screen and i looked up at the screen and i said what is that Mm -hmm. and he said that's a tumor and so he took a biopsy and i was like i have a tumor in my colon and he was like yes you have a tumor and he's like i can't talk to you about it i have to talk to your mom because you're sedated and i was like no 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 i'm awake after you said the word tumor (laughs) um yeah. And so I have gone home and he had talked to my mom and told her like, this is probably cancerous. Mm. I will be very surprised if it's not. This is a big deal. I went home and I was in excruciating pain. Mm. My colon had swelled shut. So I called the doctor hysterical, like level nine pain. Like there's something wrong. Like what is going on? He goes, he, and he said to me <sighs> and he said, sweetie, you have cancer you need to come back in because we need to remove your colon. And of course the whole ride over there, I was like panicking and like, I was just so much pain and I went to the emergency room and luckily they were able to kind of get the swelling under control. So I didn't need an emergency. um, I think it's called a colonectomy. I didn't need an emergency surgery, but you know, it went back and forth where I was hoping it was other things. And I was hoping that he wasn't right and it wasn't cancer. But then I stayed in the hospital for three days to be monitored just to be safe. And the fact that he was like, sweetie, this is cancer, you know, gave me three days in the hospital to kind of wrap my head around it. Mm -hmm. And then when the doctor came in, my GI doctor was on call in the hospital I was at. So she came in, she was the one I spoke to and she's like, I talked to my associate, and this is a tumor, and, you know, and she said it again, this is probably cancer. We don't know, but it's probably cancer, and there was a couple of other things that I thought it could be, and we, each doctor that came in that was related to it, like, I thought it could be, you know, endometriosis, bowel in the bowel, and so I sat down with an OBGYN surgeon, and he was like, this is not what it is, and so I was like, okay okay well then slowly I started to ease into it and then when I went into the office to get my results my GI doctor eased into it wanted to have a casual conversation before and I was like okay yeah it's it's cancer you know mm-hmm. um, then when she told me I flipped from being this uncertainty into go mode right, right. it went straight from like panic 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 okay how do we fix it and that is like you know I didn't she told me and I was like okay like I was like shot in the gut for a second and then I was like question 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 okay how do we fix it let's move on what do we do when's my surgery how do I get a surgery how do I get an oncologist how do I do this how do I do that and luckily my sister was with me and she's writing notes like and there was a couple times I obviously started crying um and, of, of course, my doctor just kept reaching over to me and being like, like you're going to be fine, you know, which is so incredible. She just kept saying, like, you're going to get through this. Like This is going to be fine. You know, you got this. Like, I'm here with you. And then, you know, the minute I, I sat in the car for a little bit and I cried with my sister. And then from then on, it was like, OK, I have my surgery on the 22nd. What? what do I need prepared? What do I need to do? And pretty much right now I'm in, like, I'm just so grateful that someone found it before it was too late, that I have plenty of time to complain in the future, right? (laughs) As of right now, like, I'm on a complete liquid diet until my surgery, and I can't complain about much. I'm not in pain, you know, I'm not tired, I feel very much myself, which is hard to wrap my head around, mm-hmm. but it's allowing me to get things done, call insurance, you know, ask my friends to do things, pack a bag for the hospital, you know, prep myself for the post, which is when things are going to be hard. Mm-hmm. So right now I don't have much complaining to do because I will have plenty of complaining to do in the future, but that is a long story short on how I felt after, after she
0: told me being able to have that time to process seems like um obviously scary as hell but also a little bit of a a a bracer before yeah you know you get to, oh, yeah. get to actually sit down and we're able to kind of like plan of attack let's go let's go let's go yeah as-
1: and also the fact that they kept me in the hospital you know it was a sign that it was serious mm-hmm and also it was a sign that they were taking it seriously right you know which puts me at ease you know in a sense like okay well this is these are the people that will be doing my surgery these are the people who ha- answered all of my questions held me as i cried you know i uh, i again i like how how lucky am i like i'm just so grateful
0: now going from your experience with multiple of physicians who obviously never detected a more serious issue to fighting so hard for yourself, demanding what you know you deserve, finally getting in contact with a doctor who's taking you seriously, and then getting an actual diagnosis as scary and, forgive my pun, shitty, (laughs) <laughs> um, how, how did it, and take this as you will, but how did it feel finally having your confidence in yourself, in what you were feeling and your hard work advocating for yourself pay off, even though the diagnosis as scary as it is, but having it figured out, how did that feel?
1: I think that I have enough fire in me right now to have enough fight for other people as well, mm. you know? And that's, and that's, that's the thing is like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, this is really scary. I'm going to kick, I'm going to do great. Like I'm going to kick this butt. Yes. Like, yeah, I don't know if I would necessarily say it's confidence. I would say that this fire in me has perpetuated this confidence mm. and led to me wanting to share my story and speak out even more. Right. Before I just thought it was IBS. Like, yeah, people have IBS and they live a normal life, you know, and it's like, oh, wait, I have uh, I have to get part of my colon removed. Like you will never, never hear the end of it, because I think I have enough to say about the situation and I'm completely validated in my anger and my upset with the doctor, and I'm upset, you know, all the trolls that came at me, the internet trolls, like, I have enough fight to fight all of them and my cancer, so, you know, whatever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, heck yeah, that's a, that's such a beautiful take you're able to have on it, is that not only do I have enough fire to fight for myself, but now I'm coming for those that maybe don't have that same fire, maybe haven't had the same been afforded the same opportunities of believing in themselves and, and believing that they deserve to advocate for themselves in these situations, especially when it comes to the stigma surrounding fat phobia so hundred yeah if you had something that you wanted to say specifically to people that either are having to actively battle against fat phobia or people who are perpetuating the stigma. Of fat phobia, like what would you say to the people that are in that arena?
1: I, I think it's pretty simple, because you are a certain size, it doesn't determine your worth, and you knowing your worth will only lead to your confidence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, in a more broader sense, and my favorite last question to ask every guest is if you had one piece of advice for our listeners to exercise confidence in themselves daily, what would your advice be?
1: I think my advice would be to wake up, look in the mirror and love that person until you truly believe it. Love yourself so much that you actually believe that you deserve your own love because ultimately that's what confidence is, is the empowerment of yourself, the love of yourself, knowing your worth, knowing what you deserve. So wake up every morning, look yourself in the mirror. Even if you don't believe it, say, I am perfect. I'm beautiful. This is what I deserve. I love myself. And then one day you'll condition yourself just like those dogs, mm.
0: you believe it <laughs> absolutely, absolutely beautiful, beautiful piece of advice, and again, again, I think it's something that I've said a few times on here, like you spend the most time with yourself out of anybody on the planet ever, you might as well love <laughs> yourself, remind yourself you deserve your own love,, mm-hmm. preach girl. <laughs> Well, Amanda, just thank you so, so much for being on this episode. I love getting to hear more of your story and your journey and being able to put another platform where it can be shared so more people can hear and be empowered by who you are and what it is you have to say and the fight that you have within you. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, love you so much. Oh, friend, I love you too. Wow, what an inspiring story Amanda shared so openly and so willingly with us. If anything, I truly hope that what you got out of this episode and listening to Amanda share her story is that it is okay and it is necessary to demand what you deserve in this life. Speak up for yourself. Do not settle for anything less than what you know you need. Um, especially when it comes to health care. You know, we see too often things go miss or undiagnosed because we are afraid to speak up. We think that someone else knows better, whether it's because of their schooling or whether it's because of the way that we are deemed to feel because of what society says about us. And so I hope that whatever it is, if it's medical, career, personal, relational, please know what you deserve know your worth and then add tax because it is so important to understand that you are powerful and you are worthy of everything that you deserve in this life so amanda we thank you so much for sharing your story you are in our thoughts and our prayers Um, we know you are going to kick cancer's ass girls you've got this And the inspiration does not stop there with Amanda's story. We have another inspiring guest on the episode next week. Her name is Hannah Quinn, and she discusses how she is able to exercise confidence as an openly gay woman of faith, and in the work that she does and in the opportunities that this has allowed her to take advantage of in life. Please tune in. We can't wait to have you hear what we are sharing. Signing off for now, I am J.R. Nasari, and I truly hope that you find a way to exercise confidence every day.